Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 8, brought to you by the fine folk at the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and joining me, as always, is the rambunctious and full of life Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. Kyle, how you doing today, brother? Doing well, man. Some good football, it feels like. We're, we're finally getting to the point where we're figuring out who is who is playing well, who is starting to figure it out as a team, and it makes it our job a lot easier. Yeah, I, it really is. And we're starting to figure out like we're just not doing these one to two game sample sizes anymore. Now we have a body of work to play with and see the weaknesses and the strengths and the different situation where guys struggle. And we're going to get into that. But first up, hey, I see the new reviews in Apple Podcast and I thank you for them, gentle listener. The newest one is from Eagles fan in D.C. Love to see it. And uh, hey, the rest of you be like that guy. Go to Apple Podcast, leave five stars, leave a written review. Pitter-patter, let's get at her. The news today, or yesterday, as we record this on Tuesday night, the Dallas Cowboys have shipped off defensive end Everson Griffin to the Detroit Lions for a conditional sixth-round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. That pick could become a fifth if various conditions are met. This clears up $3 million in cap space for the Cowboys, which is half of his one-year deal for the the $6 million that he signed for initially this offseason. Griffin had 2.5 sacks in seven games, but I did feel that he has shaken off the rust and has been solid in the last couple of weeks. The Lions needed all the help they could get as they rank 25th in adjusted sack rate per football outsiders due to COVID protocol. He'll be first available to them on November 8th when the Lions play the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Kyle, any quick thoughts on this? I know I asked you before the show and you're like, yeah, it's just like a guy that's been playing better. We'll see if it helps him. Yeah, he's he's starting to improve as the season's gone on. On the season, he's averaging – um, he's getting pressure at a, a percentage of 7.6 on his pass rushing snaps. Dallas didn't really do him any favors. They were asking him to rush from a two-point stance, and that's not really his game. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how much he'll add to the Lions. He's a body. He's a capable body. He's competent. He's not going to be a game changer at all. He was he was traded for that pick for a reason. He's a conditional trade pick, so that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. So we'll see if uh, Detroit lines him up at like overhang and then has him like two gap from a nine tech because like, I don't know, Matt Patricia is super weird with this pass rush. And it just seems like it seems like to me, like when you watch Patricia's defense, and it was the weirdest thing, like watching prep for the Eagles game last year and then watching them against the Eagles. It's like their pass rush is like, okay, I want guys to get to, you know, seven yards behind the line of scrimmage is, is like the old adage. It seems like they want to get like four yards and just chill. It's it's super weird. Anyway, we'll see if Everson Griffin can breach that four-yard wall. Uh, let's go to our top quarterback performances of the week like we do every week. We do top quarterback performances. We do defensive MVPs from every level. Quarterbacks are mine, so we're going to start with my guy, number one, Tom Brady. And look, how weird 
is that loss to Chicago looking for Tampa Bay. What a wake-up call that that loss must have been. Uh, it just goes out there and throws a casual four touchdowns and 369 yards, does Tom Brady. Didn't have a bad throw that could have been picked off all day, plus 13% completion percentage over expectation that was third best on the week. The 33-yard touchdown strike to the back left corner of the end zone to Scotty Miller was what Nick Foles was trying to do all Monday night, only he did it accurately. And bless Raiders cornerback uh, Nevin Lawson, who didn't have terrible coverage there, but you can't let Scotty Miller, of all people, get a step on you. We're going to do a midseason report card, Kyle, uh, after week eight. And when we look at the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, I really do think it's going to be challenging to keep the 43-year-old out of that discussion because he continues to, to defy all of the haters that keep trying to bet on him being washed. And Kyle, if you look at what's going on with Tampa Bay, they got back Chris Godwin. Mike Evans practiced in full on Friday, played on Sunday. That full practice was his first full practice since October 2nd. So he's clearly getting better on the ankle that's been bothering him. They now bring in Antonio Brown. The cupboard is stocked with weapons, as I mentioned. But maybe you look back at that Bears loss and go, like, is that where it all changed, right? Like, is that when the light came on? Do you see it the same? Or is that kind of a game that's still lingering in the back of your mind going, hey, remember me? Like, these could still be problems for you. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be a game at the end of the season if Tampa Bay doesn't get that number one seed that they're going to be kicking themselves for losing because Brady's been on a roll, man. He's really rolling right now. He's throwing a beautiful, beautiful downfield ball. He's throwing these over routes and these seven routes to guys, hitting them in stride and throwing it over the defender's head with like a perfect trajectory, perfect loft. He's just playing really well. He was second in week seven among all quarterbacks in EPA per play. But you can tell, like sometimes that stat is a little misleading, but you can really tell that he's making a difference and he's making guys better. So yeah, I would have a hard time imagining he won't be in the top five by the halfway point. So Tampa Bay continues to roll in that division. It's going to be fun by the end of the year. Let's go to the number two performance. This is a guy that's like up and down for us, like from week to week. Uh, my love-hate affair with Baker Bucephalus Mayfield continues. Such a weird game. Uh, game for him against the Bengals first throw of the game he throws a bad one to Odell Beckham Jr. up the sidelines picked off by Darius Phillips Uh, Odell unfortunately tears his ACL trying to make the tackle he's out for the year so he goes the rest of the game without his top weapon after making a bad throw on the next drive he has two incompletions on the next drive he has two more incompletions so it'd be really easy for bad Baker to show up And go in the tank. But what does he do? Well, for the rest of the day, he goes 22 of 23. By the way, that incompletion was a spike. Five touchdowns, right? Week seven leading 16.6% completion percentage over expectation. And if you watch him, you know that he's like prone to create chaos by himself. We've talked about that here before. But I'm not sure I've seen a more decisive, accurate baker that made all of the right throws for that long of a stretch. And some of these throws are ridiculous too. And I put them on my timeline at Michael Kiss NFL on Twitter. The six-yard touchdown to Harrison Bryant probably clocked in at 200 miles an hour and he put it in a perfect spot. The 16-yard seam ball to David and Joku. I mean, there's not another place that he can put this thing. He fit it through a keyhole. I actually thought the 24-yard touchdown to Donovan Peoples-Jones was less impressive of the bunch, but that ball had eyes on on that one. A nice design on the pick play to Kareem Hunt on another touchdown that that Baker read correctly. It was just it was just so so good overall. And Kyle, you see this from Baker and you ask yourself, what is this guy's deal? Like who 
is he? Why can't we have this version of Baker all of the time? And I really think like this is about playing on script. We talked like early in the show about how like we're starting to figure out where the weaknesses, where the strengths are. When he's on script, like everything's great. Having a multidimensional offense with Kevin Stefanski calling it, when they've had a lead or when it's tight, like, but we've really seen him fold when they go down multiple scores and the offense has to go with a more one dimensional attack. You can't lean on the play action, so on and so forth. That concerns me because that doesn't seem sustainable. But at the same time, you can build off a game like this where everything went wrong at the start of the game and you're still able to dig yourselves up out of like, I think it was like a one score hole was like the worst of it for him, but still. And yeah, it's against the Bengals. But despite the record, the Bengals haven't been a pushover uh, outside of the Ravens game. All of their losses have been one score deals. And it's a divisional opponent. That's always tough. But here's the talking point that I really want to dig into, Kyle. And I remember this being what Giants fans used to say when they got all boo-boo feelings hurt about Odell back in the day. And it was absurd then, and and I think it's absurd now, but there's kind of like what we saw from this game, there might be some truth to it. Uh, as I mentioned, this was the most decisive Baker I can, I can remember seeing. Is this offense going to prove more efficient and effective with the temptation of bird-dogging Odell removed from the equation for Baker? Yeah, that's going to be interesting because I think Baker is a different quarterback when he knows he's not going to get hit, when there's not a threat of pressure and the Bengals aren't going to really challenge you like like their division rivals, like the the Ravens, like the Steelers would. And I think that plays a big factor. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Njoku throw. Obviously, the touchdown to Peoples-Jones was in a great spot on the outside. I wish that's where the Odell ball would have been. Yeah. But the that throw where he just kind of moved – he doesn't really have to move the safety, but he just goes through his reads. He comes back, pushes the safety one way, comes back to Njoku. Um, just statistically wise, Baker was the only player that had a higher EPA per play than Brady this week. He was successful on 71% of his passes, which was number one in the NFL, too. He's just playing confident. He's playing comfortable. And I think the big reason for that was because he's not going to get hit. So I want to pump the brakes to see if, you know, that's going to be a consistent Baker because we haven't seen a consistent Baker. So if he's going to do this, if he's going to play like he played and the results don't have to be there, he doesn't have to complete 21 of 22 or whatever it was. (laughs) But I just want to see him not be flustered under pressure, not make bad decisions when he knows guys are screaming down his throat. If that's the case, man, I'm going to give him all the credit in the world. And I think that's really good context with the pressure. And you're going to notice a theme from my top three quarterbacks here in a second when I bring up this stat, but this is where I'm at with it. Can it be more efficient Uh, for stretches? I don't think that's ridiculous. Can it be as explosive? No, I don't think like it can consistently be like this, like overall. And I think you're the same way. I prefer having Odell versus not having Odell. And if that makes my quarterback poop inside of his own brain every now and then, so be it. But the upside is so good. And look, I guess we're about to find out. So let's go to the number three quarterback performance of the week. And look, good takes are hard to come by. But last week I was doing radio in New Orleans and they had me do this thing where it was a one sentence description of all 32 NFL teams. And it was a fun time. So they'd be like, okay, Cowboys. And I'd answer with something like, you know, Mike McCarthy sold Jerry Jones the Brooklyn Bridge and Jerry got arrested for trying to build the toll booth on it. You know what I mean? So (laughs) it was a fun time. Uh, Now, not all of them were that intricate or original, especially the Packers one, because my one sentence was actually just one word. It was R-E-L-A-X, right? Mm -hmm. So one week removed from playing like Nick Mullins on a bad acid trip, Aaron Rodgers fires back and slings four tutties, no interceptions, 283 yards in the day, and, and really... This is an excuse to talk about Devontae Adams, because if not for Tyler Lockett's ridiculous Sunday night performance, uh, this is the best show from a wide receiver you're going to get from the week seven uh, slate. Per PFF, 
Adams averaged 5.94 yards per route run. Think about that. Not targets, yards per route run. Every time he ran a route against the Texans, he picked up six yards. That's bonkers. The guy did it all. Back shoulder fades, crossers, pop passes, whip routes, deep overs, slot screens, slot fades. He couldn't be pressed. He couldn't be covered. Dominating performance from Adams and having him back healthy is a big plus for this offense. And look, I, I wanted to put Justin Herbert in here, but the Houston defense ranks 20th DVOA against the pass. The Jaguars, who Herbert played, ranked dead last. So I had to give the nod to Rodgers with some love to Adams here. And I don't want to neglect the offensive line. This kind of goes back to my point with Baker. Uh, Rodgers was only pressured 17% of his dropbacks. And that's actually a theme here, as only Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Baker Mayfield were pressured less frequently. Uh, Drew Brees graded out as PFF's top quarterback for the week, and I get it. He had a really efficient day. But if I'm saying that these are the top three quarterbacks of the week, I find it difficult to give it to a guy who had an intended air yard average of 5.6 and threw an average of 3.7 yards in front of the sticks with the great protection, I might add. Uh, that's not to say that the rest don't have, you know, that, that doesn't have value, but like, you know, J Jimmy Garoppolo was nearly identical in those two metrics. You just looked the two touchdowns Breeze had for the two interceptions that Jimmy G had. Uh, not that it mattered. The Patriots offense uh, really stalled out. Speaking of which, yeah. and it pains me to do this, and I know Kyle isn't going to love it either, but Cam Newton, come on down. You are the next contestant on Do You Have a Quarterback? Uh, first, a couple of quick questions for you, Kyle. Seeing as Cam played against the 49ers in the Big L, and Kyle, you know them better than me because you covered them for Niners Nation. Would you say that the, the Niners run defense is much better than their pass defense? That's a good question. I think I would say they're pretty close, pretty close to even. Their defensive line is much better against the run as far as, you know, just fitting fitting, and, you know, eating up blocks and keeping Fred Warner clean. So in that sense, yeah, they're probably better at run fits than rushing the passer. Uh, second question, and this is an honest one. Did the 49ers do anything differently on defense than they have recently to cause this type of performance from Cam? Not really, honestly. So there were, there were a few blitzes that Salah had where – I mean, he has some exotic blitzes where I put it on Twitter. There was one play where it's, it it almost seems like a zone blitz, mm. but he's really just leaving his corners on the on an island outside and running kind of a, a creeper blitz where he's bringing a linebacker, dropping a defensive end, and he's just taking away the middle of the field. And yep. he used the safeties to jump down and basically forcing Cam to throw outside the numbers and his receivers can't get open. So you can bl definitely blame the receivers this game, but I mean, there's no excusing the way Cam played. Yeah, I think I think it's a multitude of problems. And I actually reached out to our resident uh, QB expert, Mark Schofield. Uh, if you heard last week's episode, gentle listener, you can hear a segment he had with us about uh, you know Tua getting the nod over Fitzpatrick. So you know, I asked Mark this morning, who knows the Patriots front to back? Have you written anything about the Patriots offense yet? And he said, you know, quote, not yet. Haven't brought myself to rewatch them, but it basically stems from Newton. He's a mess. End quote. And apologies to Mark if he didn't want that to be the quote that got got out there. But I don't think it's going to be shocking to anybody. Nine for 15, 98 yards. Like, that's not a bad quarter and some change, but it wasn't a quarter. It was a whole game. And I didn't mention the three interceptions yet. Uh, the first one to Fred Warner, I have no clue what Cam saw because he was under that all day and had ample time to see him. The second one is a deep post to Jacoby Myers, who runs a 4-6-3, by the way. That's who's running your deep post in, in, in New England there. Credit to Emmanuel Mosley, though. He had this thing capped for the entire way, came down with it as if it was intended for him. Third one was a little unfortunate. It's behind Edelman, who reaches back and deflects it up. Uh, but the mechanics from uh, from Cam here are a mess. And sometimes, like, you got to do what you got to do to get it out with pressure coming. But 
you only get a pass on that when it works. Bad mechanics, bad accuracy, bad decision making. You know, I thought Cam played better than the stat line would show against Denver last week, but this one had me scratch my head. And that's two out of the last three games where I thought he was objectively horrendous. Kyle, how painful was this one for you to watch? Yeah, it's tough, man, because girl, just since Auburn, he's been one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. He's just a fun player to watch, and he's reverted back to some of his bad mechanics that when when things are when the going is rough, he loads up, and he, that's always been the case. Where he loads up, he rocks back, and he's trying to throw the ball instead of anticipating. He's just going to throw it harder than what he normally does. And the way that he looked on Sunday, anyway, is. We're just one hopping everything. Everything's short. Everything's at the receiver's feet. The throw to Warner made zero sense. Like you, <laughs> it, it was almost as if Warner was the intended target. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know how he doesn't see him. And he's been having some tip passes issues lately. Uh, he just doesn't look good. And and I'm not sure what the reason is. I've I've one of the reporters asked Belichick if it was due to you know him catching COVID because that obviously does something physically to your body. And Belichick was like, no, we would have listed him on the injury report if that was the case. Uh, Cam's just not right right now. He's I don't know if he's broken. I don't know what's going on, but he just does not look like a player who's comfortable reading the field and making throws on time. And it's really, really hurting that offense. Yeah. So since Mark had written a piece, I actually went to uh, Evan Lazar of CLNS, wrote up a great piece about the uh, struggles with the offense. And he highlighted how unafraid like the, the passing defenses are of this passing attack. And they're pressing, they're loading boxes, and they're, and they're daring this Buns group of wide receivers to beat them deep and beat them outside. It just isn't happening. On top of that, Cam's post-snap process ha- has slowed down to where he's got delayed trigger finger on, on concepts like Haas Juke, right? This is like day one install, something the Patriots have run for years, right? So uh, this is from Lazar's article, quote, New England currently ranks 30th in expected points added per dropback, 27th in pass DVOA. 22nd in success rate and has the fewest passes of 20 plus yards through seven games. The Patriots have yet to generate a touchdown on the ground or through the air over 20 yards. One of two teams, which shows how little explosiveness they have shown as an offensive unit. And they also lead the league with 11 interceptions this season with 10 in their last four games, end quote. So that's the result that you get from the issues that the multitude of issues that we listed above. And there's not much in the way of wide receiver talent that you can do to change that unless you're willing to trade for someone before the trade deadline. So they're in deep water right now. The Buffalo Bills are up next on the schedule. So they got to get right and they got to get right quick. All right. So that's our segment on quarterbacks. We covered the top three. When we come back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, we are going to get to each level of the defense, pick a defensive MVP. Kyle's going to do that for you right after this. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode eight, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL show. Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. With the top quarterbacks of the week, let's get to the defensive MVPs. Let's switch sides of the ball. So every week we do different level of defense. We go defensive line, linebacker, and secondary. And we always start in the trenches because that's where football starts and ends. Kyle. Who is your defensive MVP for the defensive line this week? Yeah, so I can go T.J. Watt, but I can go T.J. Watt every week, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I can go Aaron Donald, but if you have the internet and you saw what a certain ESPN writer said about Aaron Donald, you <laughs> knew that he was just going to ball out on Monday. So that's not very surprising. I'm going to go with the guy that we haven't talked about, but he's a superstar, Joey Bosa of the Chargers. No edge rusher in the NFL has gotten more pressure on a per-snap basis this season than Joey Bosa has at 17.4%. And that 17.4% compare that to Everson Griffin's 7.6%. 
a little bit of of an improvement there. Um, That continued for Bosa against Jacksonville, and he was credited with seven total pressures on the one sack that he had. That's what happens when you're passive as an offensive lineman. Bosa got up underneath the right tackle, used the long arm, and pretty much walked him back with ease into the quarterback. Bosa probably could have had a few other QB hits if he hadn't lost his footing trying to turn the corner. Does he have DK Metcalf hips? Tune in at 11. We'll discuss. <laughs> He's just a really good player, man. He has an inside scissor move where he kind of hops one way, uses his hand swipe to swap down the offensive lineman's hands, and that gets him inside. That worked a couple times on Sunday. He just has a full repertoire of pass rush moves, and he's really difficult to stop. He was living in Jacksonville's backfield, so uh, Bosa is the guy this week. What's crazy about this one is I do feel that you could have gone with Melvin Ingram here, and I would not have batted an eye. My man had eight pressures, six hurries, and two hits. So him and Bosa combined, 15 pressures, 12 hurries. These dudes were teeing off with their ears pinned back. Poor Gardner Minshew was pressured on 52.8% of his dropbacks, uh, second most of the week. This is a Chargers defense, by the way, that only pressured Tom Brady 17% of his dropbacks in week four. And since then, they have severely dialed up the pressure. And of course, they have talented edge rushers. They can do that pretty much whenever they really want to turn it on. Let's go to the second level of the defense. You've got a guy from Pittsburgh in there, and it's needed because they have another linebacker that's out for the year in Devin Bush, who really impressed you from the Steelers linebacking core. Yeah, when you think Pittsburgh linebackers, you think LeVon Kirkland, Larry Foote, James Ferrier coming downhill, those two down thumpers, those are long gone. But don't tell Vince Williams that. And that's who I'm going with this week. Uh, The Titans do a good job of using motion to get their second-level defenders to kind of take a false step and get them out of their lanes, and that's usually enough for Derrick Henry to outrun, find a crease and outrun for a double-digit gain. And Williams did fell victim to that a couple times on Sunday, but he was was overall, he was superb, man. What really made his performance stand out was how quick he was to pull the trigger and go towards the ball. There were a few plays where he was at the line of scrimmage while the guy next to him was still in his read steps. Uh, Williams plays fast. I know he, he ran slow way back when in the draft, but he plays fast. And there was another play where that stood out where he didn't even give the lineman a chance to get up on him on the second level. So he's just beating them to their spots so they can't cut him off. Uh, eight of Williams' nine tackles resulted in stops. It wasn't just tangible plays that Williams made. His aggressive fits, they really allowed teammates to make plays for him as well. There was one play early in the game where he had a big lick on Tannehill that almost looked like a forced fumble, but Tannehill was ruled down. Like Those are the impact plays that was nice to see from Williams. Uh, he was PFF charged him with a 73 yarder, but he was like the low hole player and <laughs> not really sure how he was responsible for that. The ball like zipped right by his helmet. Uh, I don't know if you saw that play, but Mika Fitzpatrick missed a tackle. I'm not that I wouldn't put that on Williams. I'll just yeah. leave it at that. Uh, Williams did have a nice sack where he pretty much ran right by Henry. Uh, he was he was awesome, man. He was really, really good. He was aggressive and the Steelers are going to need that from him moving forward. I mean, from week one, he's really set the tone of like, when I when I want to fire my gun, I'm going to fire it. And I'm going to be there before anybody else. And with the defensive line that they have, I mean, you, you look at Derrick Henry's performance. You, you mentioned all the run stops that, that Williams had. Der- Derrick Henry goes from 22 carries, 212 yards against Houston to 20 carries and 75 yards against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they definitely hemmed him up. And Williams is a big reason why I'm a, I'm a big fan of his game. Like you mentioned, like he ran slow. He plays fast. He plays super fast. I love it when he fires his gun. All right. Let's go to the third level of the defense. Same division. Who you got? Yeah, we haven't had a chance to really talk about my son Denzel Ward this year. (laughs) But on Sunday, man, he showed why the Browns took the cornerback of Ohio State so early in the draft. Ward has pretty much everything you want physically from a corner. It's his technique that really makes him stand out. So 
or just patient at the line of scrimmage, often playing with dead feet against bigger receivers. And he wasn't falling for their initial move. As the route went on, you could see Ward either undercutting the crossing route or down the field, he would stay on the correct upfield shoulder. And that just pretty much put him in a position to make a play on the ball. The highlight play that everybody's seeing was Ward. He did something that I don't think anybody's ever seen from a defensive back where the Bengals threw like a now screen. And instead of trying to take on the blocker, Ward literally slides on his knees underneath <laughs> the receiver and was athletic enough to get up and make the tackle. Yeah. And I watched that play like 67 times wondering how, why, but he said he added it to his repertoire this offseason. So kudos to him. And I'm 100% there for that because all the rules are against the defense anyway. Yeah. Uh, Later in the drive, Ward got into the passing lane of Burrow, got his hand up, and that tipped pass resulted in an interception. Ward also added another run stop. He also added a pass breakup. He ended up surrendering 50 pass yards on eight targets on the day, but 27 of those came when T. Higgins shoved him out of the club on a back shoulder fade. That does not count. Nice try. Uh, Ward is sound. He should be recognized as one of the better cornerbacks in the game. They, Cleveland just leaves him on an island. They ask him to do a lot in coverage, and he responds time and time again. So it was good to see him get some of the ball production this week. Yeah, that now screen play was crazy. And it's crazy. To, I didn't see that quote about him saying, yeah, like that's that's a purposeful thing that I've worked on in the offseason. That's super dope. But, you know, you know, I really have a feeling that you would have – I don't know how you felt about him coming out into the draft, but I feel like you would have put Buda Baker here at DB if he wasn't tracked down by a full-grown <laughs> deer on the interception return as if it was some like some really messed up horror movie where like men were hunted for sport by animals. But, I mean, poor Buda – Dude had himself a day of 14 tackles. Let the week seven slate. Plus, what should have been a pick six if DK doesn't run a four, what, four flat? I guess 40 is what that looked like. He had over 22 miles an hour. Uh, he did have some missed tackles, though. That's a product of being as aggressive as he is at uh, 5'10", 195 pounds. But uh, still, I like I like watching guys like that fly around. Uh, what did you think of Buddha coming out? I know he was good. Some people like really loved him, and some people weren't that into him. Yeah, I was on the Buddha train for sure. I've, I've been riding the Buddha train for a while because a lot of people, they look at his size, look at his stature and think, oh, he's not going to be able to make plays. He's not going to hold up in the NFL, but he just plays like his hair is on fire. He Every time he blitzes, it feels like he gets home, like he beats a running back. And it's not like he's running around. He will run through a running back. So it's great to see. And the what he can do for Arizona, and he was doing the same thing at Washington. He can play at every level. He can excel all over the field. So, yeah, I loved him coming out. Arif Hassan from The Athletic had a really good quote on that run back, on that interception where you zigzag like an, allig like an alligator is chasing you so, so DK Metcalf doesn't uh, doesn't catch you. That, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Buda Baker's a great player. I'm glad that he was paid. I'm glad that he was rewarded with the contract. Is he as good? Is he one of the elite safeties in the NFL? He's probably not elite, but he's right there with the best of the best. Yeah, I think he's uh, in that in that second tier. You're right. He's a fantastic blitzer. Really like he's just such a ball of energy, man. It's fun to watch. Here's a, here's a fun stat for you. We're we're, we're gonna, we got to crap on somebody, right? So, uh, I I was alerted to this uh, by our by Charles McDonald of the New York Daily News. The Jets started the second half against the Bills with a 13 yard run from Frank Gore. After that. They had 15 offensive plays, not counting penalties. Five of those plays went for negative yards. Seven of those plays went for zero yards. They had three positive plays, and I use that term very loosely here, three positive plays with a long of a four-yard gain in all, negative nine yards in those 15 plays for a total of four yards in a full half of NFL football. Ladies and gentlemen, offensive genius, 
quarterback guru, Adam Gase. What are we doing? Why does he still have a job? What, what is still has a job? Charlie said that Gase gave up the play calling duties that game. So the, the Jets come out and drive the field the first drive. So you're thinking, the new Jets, let's do it, baby. <laughs> and then that second half stat, come on, man. They're the Jets. Yeah. Yes, Gates is terrible. We all know that. There's no reason he should still have a job, but they are just so incompetent. And what makes it so painful is a guy like Denzel Mims, could, you could probably do something with him. He looks like he can be some sort of promising, like a promising receiver. But we're never going to be able to know that as long as he's on the Jets. And that sucks because you watch these other, other teams, you watch other quarterbacks make receivers look a lot better than they are. Herbert is a great example where yeah. he's making these no-name receivers – but it's just not the case with the Jets, man. I, oh, what a what a dreadful, dreadful offense. And what about the what was up with the Bills? They were down ten nothing in this game. They're supposed to be like it. Really feels like uh, Josh Allen has. I, I don't want to say like taking a step back, Dang but it. like regressed to the to the mean. And even that mean is still better than he was last year. Like he still improved. Uh, but he looks like a, he looks like a different quarterback than what he looked like in what the first three to four weeks. I think the analytics bear that out as well. I still have concerns about the defense, even though they allowed only four yards in a freaking half, but it is the Jets. So uh, a lot of different places uh, to, to go with that one. Kyle, any last thoughts for the gentle listeners before we get the heck on out of here? That was a depressing note to, to leave on with the Jets there. <laughs> no, nothing at all, man. Just like I said, I feel I, it's fun that we're, we're starting to figure out who is who in the NFL, and it's going to be a fun second half of the season. Bears are who we thought they were right. You were you were on the Bears or a fraud. Tra- I thought this was the fraud bowl between the Rams and the Bears on Monday Night Football because I I had questions about the Rams and I still think the Rams are a good team. I don't think they're going to be like this door busting dominating team. I thought the Bears were the biggest paper tigers, you know, at five and one that I had ever seen. Do, you agreed with that, right? Did we talk about that last week? I think we did. Yeah, so the Bears, yeah, they're they're not a good team. There's no reason to pretend like they are. I feel like the five wins that they have are going to prevent them from being able to draft a quality quarterback. So they're kind of stuck in no man's land. I do think the Rams are a bit better. They just played a team last week that sees that offense every day in practice and every day through training camp. So um, that had a little bit to do with the the outcome. Uh, I agree with you, though. The Rams, they're good. How good? That's another question. But, yeah, the Bears – count them out <laughs> great article by uh seth galena on the on the rams defense which is actually like really fun this year if you if you want to check that out so nice recommendation there uh remember guys if you love what we're doing here go to apple Podcasts, leave five stars leave a written review just say your following directions whatever you need to do get in that it really helps the show helps people other people discover the show tell your friends steal your girlfriend's phone leave a five-star review again whatever you gotta do but we do appreciate you stopping by here on the palpably unfair podcast i've been michael kissed that's been kyle posey we will see you next week and as always go dominate and have yourselves a day